Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tony. What's up, my friend? <laughs> What's up, buddy? Uh, again, we're still in premiere. We want to mm-hmm. thank Salon Centric for having us, uh, you know, in the VIP room mm-hmm. uh, to allow us to do our thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know um, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we just to be honest with our listeners, I guess, I mean, we, we kind of got nailed up a little bit because Premier sent us an email and said that they weren't able to host us. So, you know, basically we were on our own. And then, um, you know, I called Jen Plank and I was like, Jen, we're desperate. You know, can you can you help us out? You know, a lot of people. And she said, yeah, give me a minute. So a minute equaled. Uh, well, now we're in the salon centric VIP room. Cool. And, then, and the place is packed, so if you hear background noise and music and things to that nature, it's uh, people behind us, and uh, you know what I mean? And we're looking forward to, I'm going to get straight into this. Yeah, we're going to uh, go straight in. Right? If you're a hairdresser behind the chair, and you don't know who this guy is, you better learn. You're going to learn today. I'm telling you, this guy was a self-made millionaire by the time he was 27, just behind the chair. Oh my gosh! Well, we got to learn a story, right? Let's do it. Like, nobody wants to hear us banter back and forth. Uh, I know I, I didn't do it at twenty-seven. <laughs> I haven't done it at fifty. So, hey, touche. So, uh, Mr. Daniel Mason Jones. What's up, guys? Welcome to your day off, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. It's an honor. Uh, so, where are you from? I live in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, actually, I'm just north of the city, about maybe 20 miles or so, in a little town called Johns Creek, and have a salon up there and trying mm-hmm. to make magic happen. That's amazing. So were you born in Georgia? I actually was born in a little town called Easley, South Carolina. So it's near Greenville. Greenville's like a new hip, cool place. Yeah, right? uh, When I was there, it was so not cool. <laughs> but yeah, from South Carolina originally. That's pretty cool, man. So where did your, um, kind of where'd your hair journey begin? Well, it's a long story. Uh, My hair, I I started out as a funeral director and embalmer. uh, What? Yes, I worked in a funeral home. I started volunteering at a funeral home when I was 14. And I volunteered every Saturday until I was 16 years old. 16 years old, they offered me a uh, a job where I could actually get paid. And so that was cool. And uh, I did that for a while. And I coupled that with two other jobs. I came from a, a very modest family. And uh, I kept working and graduated high school barely. You know how we in this industry sometimes are a little attention deficit disorder. So I wasn't the best student out there. And uh, so I graduated, worked my third job after school, after graduating, and saved enough money to go to funeral college in Atlanta. And that journey was certainly interesting. Went to Atlanta, funeral college, lived in a funeral home. was really good at, at preparing the bodies. And uh, I actually say that I became a colorist in the embalming room because, funny <laughs> enough, when people pass away, we turn different colors based on cause of death. And so there's 37 different types of formaldehyde. So I would use those formaldehydes to correct tone in skin. Wait, so, whoa, that, that's corrected with formaldehyde? Yeah, crazy, right? So that's if someone crazy. dies, there was like a funeral college. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, it's a degree in funeral science. So it's kind of crazy. So if someone passed away and they had, you know, liver failure they turn yellow right so you right. have to go in and embalm them to neutralize the color if they drowned they were blue so yeah i became a colorist in the funeral home and uh, my dead people looked amazing i would do their <laughs> hair <laughs> i eventually started doing their hair um we had a lady at the funeral home that broke her hip she couldn't show up to do the hair and makeup i stepped in that role realized i was good at hair mm-hmm. granted i only had to do the right side in the front because well the other side was in a pillow and <laughs> exactly. or in a wall and uh yeah so i 
I did my thing in the funeral business, but I eventually became a hairstylist. And this was in this was in Greenville or just near Greenville? You said? I left Greenville uh, when I was 19 and moved to Atlanta. Lived and worked in a funeral home. Okay, let's uh, let's, let's kind of go back to like uh, like kind of where you grew up. Like <coughs> like what kind of community was it? What kind of town was it? So the town was just small. It's it's mm-hmm. like one of those real southern small towns, kind of small mind, big mouth places, <laughs> and uh, you know how that is. And uh, I grew up in a, a kind of a conservative environment and family. Our, our family, it's funny that I'm a hairstylist. I tell the story all over the country um, every weekend. I grew up in a religion where women didn't cut their hair, they didn't wear makeup, and they wear long dresses, no splits, no zippers. They're modest all the time. Guys can't have any facial hair, long sleeves, collar, no print, um, no shellfish, no pork. In congregations, the men would sit separately from the women. So I, I grew up in a pretty conservative environment, as you might imagine. Yeah, that's would say. And uh, so that, that led to an interesting road of, of discovery for who I really was and, and how I became a hairstylist and, mm-hmm. and who I am today as a human. Wow. But, I mean, I, 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 go ahead. I, yeah, I don't know what to ask after that. I mean, you know what I mean? That's, <laughs> I, I, I tell you where my head went immediately is that, I mean, I don't want to out Daniel, <laughs> but, but, you know, I assume Daniel's gay. Um, <laughs> being that he has a husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's all a cover-up, guys. Um. <laughs> I mean, what, what was that like? I mean, I, yeah. I imagine that was brutal in, in, in was, the church. It was brutal, yeah. You know, I kept that secret, and I'm still not sure exactly how I did that, but I, I had an incident when I was eight years old. And I was on a school bus, and I remember um, I didn't know. I knew that I was different, but I didn't know what that meant, you know. Right. And so there was these two two brothers that were older than me, and one of them held me down on the back of the school bus while the other one beat me. And it was like every time with a punch, I would hear the word faggot. And um, at eight years old, I didn't know what that word meant. I knew it was a bad word. I knew I didn't want to be whatever that was if I was getting beat up over it. So I went home that day, and I kind of started trying to piece together, like, why I was different. I knew... My brother liked dirty stuff. You know, he was always, like, out in the yard getting dirty, and he liked to play differently. I wanted to play with girl stuff, or I wanted to be in the kitchen with my mom. So I knew I was different. But uh, And I always talk about this. Every one of us in life have a moment in our life where we're defined as not good enough or that we were labeled with whatever it is, whether it's race or socioeconomic or whatever it might be mine just Mm -hmm. happened to be gay and I learned at eight years old that I would never fit in and uh, that was really a moment for me that was hard I would I remember sitting on my hands because people were like oh your hands move too much or the way you walk like a sissy or you know those were those are pretty rough moments and I still to this day at 40 years old always feel like even in the company of other men I feel like I'm like an inadequate like I'm, I don't measure up to who they are, and that's that's all in my head. Like it's a it's a dialogue that needs to go away. But I realize that in growth, you have to overcome fear. You have to step out of that, no matter how uncomfortable you are, whatever the situation is. Like you have to step out of that to grow. And and so there, are, most of my moments in my life are super uncomfortable, but I'm growing by the day. That's uh, some inspiring words to anybody who's. Uh struggling with any type of uh you know roadblocks or any you know whether just being different whatever that is because we're all different right absolutely (laughs) i mean i'm just i'm 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 still absorbing that you know it actually (laughs) makes me tight in the chest talking about it like just you know it's just the you kind of relive those Those, moments i felt it as you were saying it and like i'm i'm 
I think I'm a little surprised that you share it every week because yeah. all I felt was emotion when you were saying it. So, so even though you're you're, you're reliving it every week, I, I mean, I, I think that's it, right? You're literally reliving it every week because I felt it. I mean, I, I'm sure you did. I did, yeah, you yeah. And, and when he was making the hand motion with the punch, you know what I mean? You, you almost can you can see that or feel that, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a, so. Let's back up. So. At eight years old, how is anybody calling you a faggot, or or, or, or how are you gay at eight years old? Or, or I still want. I mean, you know, now as an adult, like I see kids come into the salon, and I'm like, I can peg it. Like I see them, I'm like, oh my god, this poor kid. Like, and then in my mind, I'm like, please let them have it easier upbringing than what I had, or please don't let them be bullied. And even what was it two weeks ago? The nine-year-old kid killed himself in California because the same thing. Kids at school told him to kill himself, and he did. He was nine, and. So I read that story and I literally was completely heartbroken. We have suicide every day in this country and it it seems the numbers are growing. So I share my story because I feel, actually I know for a fact, I've had so many over the years as an educator, people reach out to me and they tell me, they're like, hey, you know what, I was there. I tried the same thing. My kid committed suicide. My, My nephew or my niece committed suicide. So if I can get that story out there and just hopefully inspire some other kid that is where I am in my journey, if I can save their life and let them know, like, hey, you know what? It does suck. It sucks. People will never understand you for who you are. They'll judge you based on something that's so small. But in the end, my life is amazing. And I always tell my story in my classes. I'm Look, guys, I'm going to share with you a very vulnerable moment in my life. But I'm mm-hmm. also going to tell you that I won. So don't think that this is a sad story because in life you have two options. You can become a victim or you can become a victor. And I became a victor. I won. That's to say the least. You know what I mean? Wow. I mean, that's incredible. (laughs) Again, I don't know if we're going to get through this because twice now I've wanted to turn it off and just go over and give Daniel a hug. (laughs) Right. And by the way, I think the hug's for me. (laughs) (laughs) Not for him because, man, it's killing. So... So, okay, so you're eight years old and, you know, you're sitting on your hands and stuff. And, like, how um, I, I, how I, do I, you cope? I, I mean, how, I mean, how, 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 how do you, you get through that? that? Yeah. You know, it didn't get easier, I can tell you that, because I had no one to talk to. There were no resources. You know, back when I was growing up, there was no Internet. I couldn't mm-hmm. go online and be like, hey, this is what I am. <laughs> I need to find people. I hadn't, there was not, none of that was there. It wasn't available. And every time I would ever hear a story of somebody that was like me, it was never positive. It was always something terrible. And especially in the sect of people that I was surrounded by. And, um, so 14 years old, you know, I, I kind of started digging deep into, I knew I was going to become a funeral director and I, mm-hmm. I did all my research. Is this like a family? <coughs> was that like a family business or something? No, or that was I just wish we would have had too. money. <laughs> 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 we were poor. Right. Um, and so I, I thought that if I could apply myself to something that would separate myself, you know, if I went to work in a funeral, now granted, I didn't do that for attention. I did that because I love helping people that are hurting. And uh, so when I worked in the funeral home, it was never really about the deceased people. It was more about helping those families that were grieving. And uh, even through high school, there were times that I would skip lunch. I would save my lunch money. And uh, I would I would go hide underneath the stairwell at school because if I was out of sight, I was out of mind. They couldn't pick on me if I wasn't available. And so I would save that money. And then um, I would go, I'm from a small town. I would go to Walmart and I would buy these like trays of flowers. Oops these trays of flowers from Walmart. And um, with that, I started like taking the money. 
So I would I would take my school my lunch money because if I could hide at school from the other kids, I would go hide underneath the stairwell. They would have lunch. I always thought that if I could stay out of their face, they couldn't pick on me. And so I would save my lunch money and go to Walmart. I told you mm-hmm. I'm from a small town. I'd save my money and go to Walmart, and I would buy these, like, flats or trays of flowers uh, from the garden department. And I would take those flowers to the, like, the, I guess, like a nursing home right. in the town where we were, and I would plant flowers outside of the windows for the elderly people because I, I knew that those people were like me. Right, they were people that were kind of forgotten by society, or they weren't important to society. So I would go in there and develop these relationships with these people, and uh, it was pretty powerful. I learned a lot from those people, and so I have a huge passion for elderly and for kids, mm-hmm. like little kids. But uh, I learned that I was just like they were, just in a different area of my life. I was young, and I had what seemed to be a future ahead of me, and they were at the end of their life. You know, they were they were there and slowed down. But uh, that was kind of a moment for me, too. I learned a lot from those people. A great heart. Instead of becoming, like, angry and bitter, I mean, it just made you even more loving and giving. And that's incredible. I mean, it's j- always better to love people, right? All Create and love. Is love. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, that's yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, love's always the way out. But sometimes there, there's a trip through anger and there's a trip through all that before we kind of realize that. I tried right? to never go there. Right. So do you have like, like, do you have, like we were talking earlier that, um, you know, when I hear a good quote, sometimes those, if it's a really good quote, sometimes those quote becomes my mantras, mm-hmm. you know, like I'll, t- I'll have that quote in my head and I'll be like, okay, well this is the way I'm supposed to, and I don't mean supposed to like, but how I hold myself accountable right. for that. I mean, so like when you start to feel that, that mm-hmm. anger, that whatever, like how do you, what's your, what's your go-to? You know, I, there's a quote that says hurt people hurt people right so people that are hurting actually hurt people and so i when people are in a space of like negativity or they're really vengeful they're they're lashing out at somebody it's because they're hurt and you know we also have to remind ourselves that in those moments of clarity that we have to understand that high emotion when we allow ourselves to go highly emotional in an anger moment that at that very moment we become our most vulnerable and we're most our most unintelligent moment. So high emotion equals mm-hmm. low intelligence. And so I try to never let myself go there. Mm-hmm. If, if I start to feel like some sort of emotion that I don't like, I just put my head somewhere else or think about something else that's positive and just kind of escape that moment. Right. I mean, we've talked again, we've talked about this and, you know, um, I don't know if it's a mantra necessarily, but um, a few years ago I started to um, start thinking about my barrel Right. And, and, and I have this belief that that your barrel can only be so filled. Right. And, yes. then, and then once your barrel's filled, then then that's when you start to, you know, start to react with, you know, again, low intelligence and stuff. So I had this real big goal about um, keeping my barrel empty. Oh, you know, so so how do I keep my barrel empty? And, and I didn't I never believe I, I believe that my barrel is for the big stuff. But if it's filled with the little stuff, then there's no room for the big stuff. Right. So there's no so there's no room. So um, and, uh, Tony and I, we've talked about I've talked about it on the podcast a couple of times, but. You know, like I have this belief of of, of, of of giving without any expectation of return, right? So, so to give a gift as a gift instead of an, um, instead of an investment. And, and, and as small as that is, it can be as um, like opening a door for somebody. Of course. And then um, if, if the thought goes through my head that, well, that person didn't say thank you, you know, my, my immediate mantra to that or my immediate response to that is like, I didn't open the door for a thank you. 
Mm-hmm. Open the door to be just a kind person and, 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 and you know, part of the human experience, you know. Absolutely. And that also goes to like, you know, if you get cut off in traffic or, mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. So as long as I could keep those empty, I believe that my barrel was 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 empty enough to handle. Well, how come you give me the finger every time I walk through the door <laughs> when you open it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're different. <laughs> always remember this. If you can give a slice, you'll always receive a, la- a loaf in return. I love that. Right. Give a slice, receive That's a loaf. That's it. Um, and, That's awesome. You know, and, and to that point, it, it, it's funny because, um, you know, w- with with that giving, without the expectation of return, the return is always just you feel better. You're going to feel much better about like, you know what? I did that for society. I did that to just to be a kind person. Yes. It's a much bigger reward than a, I think. Yeah. You're like a half-hearted thing. Correct. So, um, well said. I mean, that, and I, I think that's with all of us, really. I mean, you know, it's, I, I tend to say this a lot in the podcast. Right. Uh, but so far, everybody that we've interviewed, um, their hearts are in the right places. You know, I mean, they're doing the trying to do the right thing, and they're just giving back to our community, and they're just—it's a lot of love. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you, and and I mean, take this lesson. I mean, again, this is like <laughs> we're getting into Weirdville there, but yeah, but the people I'm that we've the, I mean, no, 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 that's what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, is that is that even and the people that we've we've we, we've been gracious enough to talk to have all been people that are like towards the top of our industry. Yeah, you know, you know. So so if the people that are at the top of our industry are are f- again from what we've seen are really good people, or, or or doing the right things or doing it for the right reasons and. Um, then you know maybe that is the path for our industry. Maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be backroom stabbing. Maybe it doesn't have to be be uh, backroom. Tony and I fight about this. Um, I say backroom. He says break room. I say broke room. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> <laughs> like because the, the people that hang out there are broke. They're broken yeah. spirit. They're broken mind, and they're broken their checking account. And it's not a safe place for anybody to hang out in a salon. Do you know Jim Plank's quote? I've said it six times on the podcast, but I'll give it again. Um, the back room, the... That's funny. The, the all, of our, all of our listeners like, yeah, I know what you're supposed to say. <laughs> but <laughs> Daniel does it. it. Daniel he goes. <laughs> True. The back room, you only gain a bad attitude and a larger pant size. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is the truth. One of my favorite quotes ever. So, so, I mean, so I guess we're still in the funeral home, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, 14 years old, knowing exactly where you want to go is beyond impressive. I got a 17-year-old son, and he just has no clue what he wants to do. But, you know, here's the difference, I think, too. I always teach in my classes, I'm like, there's only two things in the world that are going to make you excel in life. You have, to, you have to have desperation or inspiration. And if you're not in a place of disparity or in, just needing to be inspired, you're not going to go anywhere. And so when you look at each generation, we become wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And so when we start raising these children, I have a, I have a son. And I look, this kid will never know what it's like to not be able to get cereal at the grocery store. He's not, he's not going to know what it's like to not have bread. He's not going to know what it's like not to have running water in your kitchen. These are things that his dad, his dad had. And um, he'll never know that because the way that I work, right? So the kids, I had to have a direction. I knew that I needed out. And so even at 14 years old, I had to work. And I knew that I was going to have to work if I wanted to break the cycle. My parents worked like dogs. In my mind, I think that they probably gave everything away either to their congregation that they belong to or mm-hmm. the community. I don't know. But we had nothing. And 
Um, so I learned to save. And so as I, when I finally got out of that business into the hair business, I learned how to really start saving money. I was basically hoarding money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned how to invest money. I remember I was in the Goodwill one day. That's where I bought my clothes from at the time. And uh, as long as I could get something black. <laughs> and uh, But there was this book section in the Goodwill, and there was a book for sale. I still have this book at home, and it was 50 cent. And I bought the book, and it was called Women and Money. And I was like, well, what's the difference in women and money and guys and money? But I bought the book because there was like one page in it that stood out. And it was like, if you start saving money at 23, you could be a millionaire by, by 59 and a half. And I was like, 59 and a half, a millionaire. I could think I could do this. And I was like, but what if I beat that? And so I started applying these principles immediately. And I already knew how to live poor. And so as soon as I started making money, I was like, I'm going to put all this money away. Instead of investing $33 a month, what if I invest $3,000 a month? Instead of doing $3,000 a month, what if I put $4,000 a month away? What if I, what if I buy a property let it appreciate and then sell it like how i started trying to figure out, i was like i'm going to break the cycle of poverty and so that ultimately happened too but i think for hairdressers you know every time i'm in a room i ask them when is the last time you went to a retirement party for a hairdresser or a beauty professional and they look at me and they laugh and i'm like no this wasn't a laughing question this wasn't a riddle I'm being serious. Like, when do we retire? Because everybody's so awesome now. We're on bosses. We have all this stuff, this rhetoric that we all preach, but we're broke. We're a broke industry. National, uh, what is it? The census support for hairdressers is $18,000 a year. I want to cry when I hear that. Like, it's insane. And But we're so cool. And, you know, our Instagrams make us look hot. We got the hottest clothes. We got these nice rides, but we're broke. And as an industry, unless somebody steps up and says, hey, you know what, guys, what's, what's happening, what's been happening, unless we change this, we're going to continue this cycle. We have to break it. And so I'm that voice. I, when I was hired with Salon Centric, they said, we want to name you an influencer. I said, I don't want to be an influencer. That's like a silly word to me. But what I do want to be is I want to be a disruptor. I want to shake this industry up from one side to the other because I'm sick of the poverty. I'm sick of the scarcity mentality. I believe in abundance. I think there's more than enough for all of us to go around. And so each weekend I'm in your face. I will give you love. I will give you hugs. I will snuggle you all day long, but I'm going to tell you that what you're doing is not working. It doesn't matter how much money you think you're making here or there, whatever your situation is, you're still poor. And, uh, and the biggest thing is like, it's more than money, right? It's more than money. You have a gift that you were given. And until you realize what your why is, why you were given that gift to serve people on a larger scale. Last week in our salon, we raised money for childhood cancer. I 16 of my friends, most of them were hairdressers. Their children were diagnosed with cancer and either they passed away or they're still battling. After the 16th diagnosis, it hit me in the face. I was like, you know what, we gotta do something about this. I, I keep hearing the same thing over and over and over. So we started raising money for it. Every year, we're in our seventh year, we dedicate one day of September we donate 100% of every dollar that comes in our company back to Cure Childhood Cancer, which is our organization in Atlanta. $30,000 we were able to do on last Thursday. We're still taking money. That's going to allow us to privately fund a clinical trial for a child. And, you know, it, it's just so big that we have to give back. And there was a situation about eight years ago, me and my husband, we were trying to adopt. At the time, it was illegal. We couldn't adopt. We went around that and had our own kid through a surrogate. That's a whole big story later on. Mm-hmm. But because it was illegal, it upset me. And I was like, how is it that these children can sit in foster homes and rot? And the people that say that they love people and they love life, 
can let a kid lay here like this, but at the same time we complain about our tax dollars, and tax dollars is what it takes to raise these kids. So we're saying all these things, but we all say we want change, but nobody wants to make a change. So I got really upset. I got attached to an idea. There was this little girl that I wanted to adopt. She was 12, and her story, like, ripped my heart out. Nobody wanted her because she was 12. They wanted to adopt all the babies. She was African-American. I was like, oh, my God, I will take this girl. She wanted a puppy. Her dream was to have a puppy in her own bedroom. I was like, we've got three houses. We've got three puppies. Like, I will give you the best life ever. And then it got to the bottom of her little bio. She, her dream is to become a hairstylist. I was like, I will make you the best hairstylist in the world. You'll have two dads that will love you. You'll have everything you ever wanted. We couldn't adopt her. No matter what we tried to go around with the law, we couldn't adopt her. So a girl shows up in the salon in my chair. You always have to be attentive. She showed up. She, she and her husband couldn't have a baby. Another long story. We wound up partnering together. We built a foster home that houses 50 kids. Wow. So instead of getting angry about it, turn your anger into love and do something positive. And I think as a hairstylist, when, when we realize that it's not about us, because we're an ego-infested industry. You know, we're all cool. We got cool clothes. We got the greatest shoes. We're, we're awesome, right? We think. But at the end of the day, what do we really have? What are we leaving behind? Everybody's like, oh, your Instagram's hot. You got so many followers. Who cares? MySpace went out. <laughs> Instagram will go out. I would never want to be known because I have a big Instagram following. Is, are you going to have that etched into your tombstone? Wow, he had a lot of followers. <laughs> or they made a difference in the world. And I think our industry, we need to wake up because we've, we've become so, so consumed with that kind of stuff. Now, granted, I love my Instagram followers. It's providing me a great livelihood. But we have to step outside of that and realize that we all have a bigger calling in this industry. And I think we're some of the most caring and compassionate people in the world as, as artists. Um, well, I mean, I, I'll jump on and say, I mean, I, I think Instagram is important Very. For, for our industry, but, but, but to your point, I think it's only part of the part, part of the story. If you're using it for the better good of other people, it's amazing. Sure. Absolutely. But, he, but he's talking about you as a person. Yeah. Sure. You know what I mean, yeah. I mean, your, your calling is not to be posting Instagram. Like, I love my Instagram. Right. Yeah. A lot. Oh, it, we know. It keeps me booked. Oh, we know, Daniel. <laughs> right. It keeps me booked. It keeps me classes. It provides a lot of additional revenue for me. But, again, what am I going to do with that revenue? It's not mine. Like, I need to give it away. I live just fine. Wow. Oh, well, I mean, you know what? I mean, I mean I, I, I'm going to jump on this, and Daniel gave me an opportunity, so I'm, I'm going to put him in the hot seat a little bit. Get it. I mean, so at what point, so I mean, you, you know, you said you had three houses, you had three dogs, you had this, you had that, you had all that. So at what point, like you said that you were making money, but you were like, listen, I can live poor. Yeah. So at what point or, or what was the transition where you're like, okay, I'm done living poor. Let me, let me live in, let me live in luxury for a little bit. You know, my first year as a hairstylist, my average ticket was $55. Hairstylist, all of you that are listening, you need to know where your average dollar is because every time I teach a class, nobody knows their average ticket. I'm like, how can you know where you're going if you don't know where you are? Look at your navigation in your car. If you don't put in the current address, it can't get you to where you're going. Right. So uh, I was 55 a ticket. I was working six days a week. And in my first year as a hairdresser was seven months. I went on the floor as a licensed stylist in the month of May. From May until December, I did $117,000 my first year as a stylist. <laughs> what is that, $55 a ticket? $55 a ticket. Do that math. I was working like a crazy man. Everybody that I would meet, this is before social media, this is mm -hmm. almost 18 years ago, I would walk up and I'd pass my cards. I'm like, hey, I'm Daniel. 
let me give you a free blow dry. You know what? Let me blow dry your hair for free. They would come in for that free blow dry. I would talk to them to a color, talk them into a cut, bring your friends. And I was always nice to people. And, and that's another thing. Like if you're nice to people, people will always do business with you. They're always going to come back to you right. because you made them feel important. And so I started just hustling. My second year, I was at 140000 a year. I had a full-time booked assistant. I was like slammed. I was the busiest hairdresser in the salon. It was a problem though. My second year, because I was making all this money, and my whole life I grew up with no confidence. I was never told that I was great or any of the stuff. Mm-hmm. For two years, nonstop, every client's like, oh, you're awesome, you're amazing, I love you, I wish I could bring you home with me if I could have you every morning. I would hear this crap, and I started to believe it. Actually, I did believe it. <laughs> and so I always say that I came down with a disease my second year of hairdressing. Ego. Ego will kill you. So I had this one awesome client. I love telling her story. Um, she came into the salon, and um, she had, like, longer hair. Atlanta, every place, tennis or golf. Like, every, you know. <laughs> right. So she's got the hair, and she came in. This woman was like my girl. She was one of the first people that ever showed me what it was like to be loved unconditionally. And I loved her. And she almost like stepped in as like a, a parent figure, right? She was just a really awesome lady. She came in. She would always bring like co- cookies and brownies. And you guys know that I love those. <laughs> and uh, this particular day, she didn't come in with anything. She was empty handed. And she didn't have that bright smile that she always had on her face. And I thought, man, I must have messed up her hair last time. I didn't really have formal training. I couldn't afford to go to beauty school, by the way. Sidetrack there. Oh, yeah. I did an apprenticeship in the salon. Same salon? Um, no, it was in a, it was like maybe 45 minutes out. The lady that I worked under only hired me because I speak Spanish. I taught myself Spanish when I was 14 also because I was bored to death. We didn't have TV (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) I still don't watch TV now by choice. I'm like garbage in, it's garbage out. But, um, anyway, so I, uh, on this whole journey, like everything just started kind of making sense. Right. And, um, so Valerie, she shows up and, and I'm so successful, quote unquote, in the salon. And I was like, hey, Valerie, what's up? And I gave her a hug, and, and she was just different. And she wa- she said, can we go somewhere private in the salon? Oh. And so we walked around the corner. It was a, a large salon. I said, of course. And I went over, and I stood in front of her. I was like, so what's going on? And her eyes filled up with water. And she said, um, so it's advanced cancer. It's I don't even know if there's going to be treatment available. I had never met anybody with cancer at that point in time. It wasn't like a household thing then. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Valerie, no. So she had, she had stage four cancer and it had metastasized everywhere. And she told me that she was going to have to cut her hair off. And I said, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And so I cut little by little and I started to edge her hair up to the, like to the shoulder. And then I got almost to the chin. And I said, we're going to stop here because you look great. And I know this is hard for you, and it's certainly hard for me, and, and I love you, and I, I hate that we're in this position. But when you're through this and you're healthy again, we're keeping your hair short because you look amazing. And she said, I agree with you. So I colored her hair after that, and then she pulled out a wig, and I razor cut it. And I remember I was scared to death because I really was not a good hairdresser at the <laughs> time. I razor cut her wig, and I did, like, I did my best job. And she stood up from that service, and she gave me a hug. And when she hugged me, I remember I can still, I can still relive this moment very clearly. Her body shook. It was literally shaking with emotion. She was so overcome with nerves. And she said, how much do I owe you? And I said, Valerie, I couldn't charge you if my life depended on it. I love you. And I know you're going to be fine. Like you got this. You're amazing. And I never saw her again. 
That was our last visit. And so after that, I had to just kind of collect myself, right? Because I, I genuinely love this woman. And it wasn't long after that that I had a whole entire realization that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And Valerie was my teacher. And it all made sense to me why I was born the way that I was, why I had to fight in society to be who I am. I'm different. And it's really helped me love people. I, I'm able to love just random people because of that. And then I always questioned why I was in the funeral business for so long. And it all made sense there too. I was in the funeral business because it allowed me to know that every time I drove the hearse in a funeral possession, I never pulled a U-Haul behind it. You can't take any of this with you when you go. And then I was like, this hairdressing thing, it all makes sense now. Like I was, this isn't a job. This is a calling. I was called to be a hairdresser. I was given a gift. And if I waste this gift, now I've screwed up one more aspect of my life, right? So at that moment, I realized that I went from a, from a job hairdresser, which most people have, or a hobby hairdresser, to a career-minded hairdresser. And I went to 200000 a year, 300000 a year, 400000 a year, 500000 a year. I stuck there for a minute. <laughs> and then I got to 800000 a year, 850, and I called one of my friends, and I was like, I just did 850000 a year. <laughs> As a hairdresser, this is crazy. Like, I cannot believe this country guy just did this. Like, he's like, you know what? That's awesome. Do a million. And so the next year I did a million. And for the past four years, I've been at 1.1 million a year working four days a week as a hairdresser. I work like a dog. But what's so cool about that? It's not the money. Again, it's nice to have the money. Believe me. Like, I love to have financial security, but it's not about the money. It's about knowing that if I could do this. There's not a hairdresser in this country that can't do this. I don't care if you live in the most hee-haw town in America. If you have ambition, if you have passion, if you realize what your calling is, nobody or nothing will ever stop you. Whew. I'm sitting in church, man. I feel like I'm being preached It at. is Sunday. Praise. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, again, just an incredible story. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is there a way to kind of motivate that though, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, Daniel's got it. Daniel's, you know, he's he, he's living it, so he's clearly got it. Like, like, how do we do the next step? I mean, do you think it's just through telling your story, or or or? I mean, I'm, I think I'll challenge you a little bit if, <laughs> if you allow me. Is that go for it? Is that is that no matter how many weekends that you do this, can you reach enough people? I will never reach enough people. I, uh, I'm a visionary, so I love to visualize things. And I'm, I'm a, um, what do you call it? People that can manifest. So I'm a manifester. Right. And so I'm always, we all are, but I think people don't realize their, their power of manifestation. So what you think about ultimately is going to come into your existence. So where you are right now with this podcast, you guys three years ago were dreaming of this and here you are. Right. Right. So where you are right now, you wanted this three years ago. Every one of us, unless you're sick. But everywhere you are in your life right now, you ask for this life. So how dare we whine about it, 
right? People are always like, oh, woe is me. No, not woe is me. I'm hungry, right? I've, I've nibbled on junk food all day long. <laughs> but not one time will I worry today will I be able to have dinner. Somebody's starving to death right now. Tonight, when I go to my hotel room, I'm going to sleep in a bed. I have cover. I have a temperature control in my room. I have a shower that has clean water. Somebody's going to sleep on a street tonight, and they dream of having those luxuries. We complain about our backs and our legs hurting in our industry. Somebody lost their legs, right? When you change your perspective on life, then it starts to get real. Tony shared a quote with me, uh, I guess about a, I'll say about a month ago or so, maybe two months ago. Not that it matters. But, um, uh, and his quote was is that, you know, um, whenever you're thinking that you have to do something, you know, you also have the opportunity that you get to do something. You're allowed to do it. Right. Yeah. So um, that, that, I mean, Tony shared that quote with me and um, it, it kind of changed my perspective because, yeah. you know, I mean, I, and I'm a pretty upbeat dude most of the time. You, you know, are. But, the, but, the, <laughs> but, the, but, there's, but there's definitely like moments where I'm like, oh, I got to go to work today, you know. But, of course. But, but when Tony said that, I mean, remember we went back to mantras, like if I hear a good thing, then, then that's like, you know, slap myself in the ass with it, right? Yeah. Like, and that was it. So I was like, you know what? I get to do this. You We're know? humans, right? I, Our mind is to go negative. Exactly. But it's just like any other workout. You have to change your brain. You have to change your mindset if you want to overcome and live a different life. And to that point, Daniel, is that um, I almost always go negative first, right? But 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 through practice and through my again yeah. mantra, how to sound like a nerd. <laughs> but 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 through those practices, then it's like, oh, you know what? It can, it pulls me right back out of it of instead of like living in that in that in that funnel. It kind of pulls me right back out and be like, you know what? We can do this. Exactly. You know? Why do you think people watch the news? I don't. Uh, me either. But why do you think the people that watch it love it? They love negativity. Yeah, that's true. That's it's true. crazy. I'm like, and here's the thing. I'll say this in my classes all the time. If we fast forward 50 years, let's pretend it's the year 2068. I've got somebody that's 25 years. They're 25 years old in my class. You're going to be 75 years old if you're a hairdresser and if you've prepared well. If. And we know that's a very small percentage. If you've prepared well. If you've taken care of your body or if you haven't taken care of your body, you may wind up in a nursing home. You may wind up in an assisted living. If, again, if you can even afford it. If the caretaker were to take you out of your bed after they've given you a a sponge bath in your bed and they put you in the wheelchair and they park you in front of a window for the entire day, how many of you are really going to sit there and say, man, I'm glad I Netflixed and chilled my life away? Nobody. We are all going to wish we had done more. I witnessed that with my dad 10 years ago when he was, when he was leaving. I remember him saying, if I get out of this hospital, I'm going to walk around and visit the people in the hospital because I know how lonely it gets in here. He never got that opportunity, and it was way too late at that point. So many times we live our life in the reactive state versus the proactive state. So don't wait. Love people. Give to people. Encourage people. Lift people. Do it now. Because one day you're not going to be able to do that. And you're going to wish that you did. You're going to wish that you would have worked harder. You're going to wish that you would have made a mark. What legacy are you preparing for today? I did a good haircut? Or I changed somebody's life? Mm. That's so deep. I mean, I'm like, I'm getting choked up. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's the truth. I mean, you're right. You know, it's the reality that... that, that it's funny that it's the reality that hurts so much, right? I mean, I could fluff and puff, right? <laughs> no, but this is just real talk. That's, it's got to be. 
it's just real talk in our industry. I just want to shake them. I'm like, man, yeah, it's cool to have all we we have opportunity right now at our fingertips that nobody, no generation of hairdressers ever had before. It's right here. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? <laughs> what, what did Sam say this morning? You gonna show up? Yep. You gonna show up? You gonna show up to your life, right? Yeah. I mean that that's crazy. So, who? So, th- so for the kids that want to make that one point one, not even kids for anybody. I mean, <laughs> hell, I want I want to make the one point one million. I can teach you. That's what. I, how do I find that? How how do I find you to learn? How to make the one point one million dollars? You know, I, I, we were having a conversation just a moment ago here at the table before Mike's came on, and and it was it was really interesting. Like I was just given a mathematical equation, and we were talking about having someone helping you in the salon. I think a lot of times our ego again stops us. We're like, oh, I can never have an associate. I can never have an assistant because those customers come to see me, right? I hear that all the time, and I'm like, no. If you don't ha- have someone to help you out. You will always have that one chair income. That's all you're ever going to have. And I hear the most overused, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm my own boss. I hear this all the time. I own a salon. I am not my own boss. Let me just go ahead and lay that out. Mm -hmm. I have 67 employees. I am never my own boss. Aside from those 67 employees, the amount of people I see every day in my chair, those are my bosses. We have to take our ego and put that away because you're never your own boss. I get so tired of that, that mentality. If you're lucky enough to have 12 people a day, you have 12 bosses. A boss is somebody that hires you, tells you the work that they want done for that particular job, and if you're lucky, they'll hire you for the job again. You're never your own boss. We are servant leaders. That's what we are. We were born to serve people, to give to people. And so stepping outside of that, we need somebody to help us. When we were going through the equation, I was talking about if you're blow drying, if you're shampooing and blow drying 10 of your own clients a day, just 10, that's 30 minutes a client that you're spending on shampooing and blow drying hair. Your passion is balayage. Cool. So you're going to stand at a shampoo bowl and blow dry hair for 300 minutes a day, which is four and a half hours, by the way. Four and a half hours and your average ticket's 100 bucks. That's $450 a day that it's costing you to shampoo and blow dry your own clients times five days a week. You're at over $2,000 a week to shampoo and blow dry your clients. 50 weeks a year is a hundred grand. A hundred grand. Wow. Because you're afraid to let someone shampoo and blow dry for you. And we say, well, my clients come to see me. They do. I pay to see my dentist, but the hygienist cleans my teeth. That dentist doesn't clean my teeth. And when I go to the doctor, that doctor doesn't check my blood pressure or weight. The nurse does. So we say that we're professional. We say that we want to be an elevated industry, but we're doing everything that we can to go the opposite direction. So when you have another set of hands to help you, plus the, get, the, the clients love it. So I book 30 minutes for a single process and a highlight, meaning my associate applies the base color. So if I'm doing a balayage, They'll, they'll do the one-step color in the first two quadrants, so ear forward. Mm-hmm. And then I immediately start to balayage while they do the single process in the back side of the head. If it's a foil application, I'll foil the front first while they paint in the back. So we knock out the whole entire two services in 30 minutes. So if you're charging 
150 for a foil and another 100 for a one-step color, now we're, we're doing time collapse, right? So we're taking an hour and a half service, putting it in 30 minutes. Now I can make $300 an hour as a hairstylist. Now we're talking. <laughs> Plus, our customers, it, we have stats on this, guys. The customers used to come see us 9.1 visits a year. Now we have proof. We have real proof that they're only coming 5.1 visits a year. And that's because of time. Everybody's living in these time fragments. And if you don't believe that, let's talk about net, uh, Netflix versus Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? True. Let's talk about Uber versus Taxi. So if our industry doesn't start making some changes really fast, we're going to continue to become poorer and poorer. And the deregulation—I can't speak—the <laughs> deregulation of licenses is really going to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got to change the way we're going. And it doesn't matter if you're a commission stylist, if you're a suite renter, if you're an independent. I don't care what title you want to put on yourself. We are all doing hair. And if we don't change what we're doing, we're going to give our industry away. We've already seen it with retail. It is Retail is in every single store. And I see these groups on Facebook and Instagram, you know, these, these Facebook Lives, Instagram Lives. People are having heart attacks about the manufacturers putting these products in all these stores. They're putting it in stores because they had a dream of being successful. And we, the hairstylists, I'll jump in there with all of us. I won't se- separate any of us. We are single-handedly giving our industry away to everyone but us. Retail sales are higher than they've ever been in this world, but they're the lowest in the salons, and it's because we are giving that away. Man. Okay, I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. Come on. <clears throat> you ready? You ready? <laughs> we can go Two real things. light. Oh, here we go. Bring it. Well, I don't know. It's going to be late for us. Okay, so uh, <laughs> what's the most clients you've done in a day? 47. Boom! Over 40. how many hours? Uh, I just had it happen, and I would, let's see, 7.30 in the morning until 7. It's about 12 hours. About 12 hours. So 47 clients in 12 hours. Yeah. How many chairs? Um, So I have four associates. I know that's just mind-boggling. Some of you people just, like, signed off the podcast right now and died. (laughs) (laughs) Eat two baby aspirin. You'll be fine. Um, (laughs) So um, 47, I have four associates. So at 9 o'clock in the morning, I may have five haircut or five customers going at one time Uh and as chaotic as that sounds it's actually not chaotic at all because there's a perfect system that i have if i have a guest that has hair that's chin length or shorter i cut their hair wet if their hair is below the chin i cut their hair dry right so there's one system if i'm cutting their hair dry sometimes my guest will show up and just get a dry cut that's all they want they want in and out they want to go Sometimes my associate will blow them dry and then I'll cut it. So it's all based on what needs to happen. All meanwhile, where we're doing the two colors at the same time. Consultation is key. And the biggest thing too is letting people know what your brand is about. I always let people know, this is how I work. In order for you to be able to get this reservation with me, mm-hmm. this is how I work. It's my, my books are not 100% full, but I'm booked out for one to two years. Like, it's booked. If you were to call the salon now or if I were to pull up my schedule, which I have on my phone, mm-hmm. I could show you December next year is booked. October next year is booked. It's because my people know they're going to come every five weeks. They're going to get their hair done. And if they have to change it, that's fine. But at least they have that reservation. They know that they're secure. Um, it's just really important. So I have conversations like for me to be able to accommodate your needs, I have to work with these associates. Otherwise you would never get in plus to be able to keep my costs low. So I only charge 98 for a haircut blow dry. I charge 98 because I feel that's fair. 
because mm-hmm. my associate is blowing them dry. My associate is doing the shampoo and the conditioning treatment. They're handling all that for me. So I feel like 98 is a fair price. I know there are people in, in the Atlanta market that charge 200 for a haircut. I don't feel that I can do that. Mm-hmm. So um, I keep it at 98. So to be able to keep my costs low, I'm able to have these people. Plus, let's step on the other side of this. Let's look at it a different way. I'm training four future professionals that will know how to make a million dollars a year. That's cool. <laughs> I've got 13 of those that work in my salon. I wish they did a million dollars a year. <laughs> I hope you're listening. Um, <laughs> but I, I have 13 associates. I see a staff meeting happening, a staff oh, meeting podcast. PS, our staff meetings are the bomb. We don't really call them staff meetings. We call them, um, they're like team celebrations. Uh-huh. So uh, we celebrate everything. We don't go in there and bitch and moan about towels and color bowls because it's unproductive. Uh-huh. We'll pull that person aside one-on-one. We celebrate who had the biggest paycheck, who got an associate, who jumped a level, who got this, who paid off the credit card debt. And we celebrate for 30 minutes. In the last 30 minutes, we have basically, they're like master classes. And so I typically lead them and just hope to inspire these kids. Um, our salon is definitely multi-generation, so we have a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, our team meetings are off the freaking charts. They're it. really fun. Two of them, actually, no, it was July. We had Diana Ross play in. Everybody had these like Diana Ross t-shirts. Like it was straight up a party in there, mm-hmm. and um, it was just fun, right? You got to have fun. It's hair. It's hair. It's hair. Now we take our business seriously, and we're professional when we show up at work. But it's hair. But it's hair. Cool. Okay, another. <laughs> that was supposed to be a light question, and he just blew us up. So, um, forty-seven clients. Yeah. What was your uh, What was your highest take in a day? It wasn't that day. Funny enough, because those were small services. When Would you're able to, to be, get right? When you're able to get forty-seven situations in in a day, that's that's small services. Now, if I have a day that's packed full of extensions, I may only have fifteen. I didn't even know you did extensions. Uh, if it makes money, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So my biggest day I've ever had was actually on my birthday. I know a lot of people are like, I need to take my birthday off. I'm what like, why that? would you take your birthday off? That's weird. I want to make the most money ever. March 26th, I'm a full-blooded Aries. There you go. Um, Aries in the house. <laughs> in the house. <laughs> so, uh, and we're very competitive with ourselves, so, which was why. But my biggest day I've ever had in the salon behind my own chair was 11000 That was I, on my birthday. I just passed out. One day, $11,000. And how many, that was I was day? working myself to death. <laughs> but boy, it sure felt good when I saw those numbers at the end of the day. <laughs> it was good. Awesome. I didn't care how bad my back was hurting that night. Right. No I can way, afford man. some extra Motrin. <laughs> And a massage. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Ooh, okay, so I want to get into so much stuff. I mean, I, I don't even know. How, how, we're I mean, going to have another podcast. We are going to have to have another podcast. Part two. Or, or we'll, just, we'll just cut this one in half. Um, well, I want to know. I want to. I, I kind of. I'm just throwing this out there. I mean, I want to learn how you had the relationship with L'Oreal and stuff. I'm also really curious, and, and I think we're all kind of juggling. Um, you know, Tony and I are kind of new to this, like, traveling and stuff. So I, I'm really kind of like, I'm curious as to... You have a husband. You have one kid or two? One. One kid. I mean, three-year-old. Tell me about like, and it sounds like you work like crazy. Like, like what's your work-life balance? And and I don't and have a uh, a balance. I, I think any successful person that tells you they have balance is telling you a fat lie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no balance. I my balance is when I sit on, at the wing on the airplane. <laughs> um, there's no balance. I work 
nonstop. I work in the salon. I travel. I work for L'Oreal Professional as an educator. I work for Salon Centric as an ambassador and educator. I work all the time. An average work week for me is anywhere between 100 to 120 hours. So I work nonstop. Mm -hmm. I have never tasted coffee, so I don't drink caffeine. And uh, of any kind. And uh, I'm naturally high on life. I'm mm-hmm. so amped for every job or opportunity that I get. It literally, like, my mind feels like it's going to explode. Because I get to do this. I get. I um, get again. It's a lot. And I'm horrified of flying. What? Yep. You sound like this guy. I'm so <laughs> scared. I'm like the seat grabber. Uh-huh. Or the person beside me grabber. Like, I'm grabbing you. <laughs> Um, I hate turbulence. It scares me to death. But again, you've got to get on the other side of fear. I hate flying. It makes no sense how this like 300 ton machine is in the sky (laughs) fighting gravity. That's crazy. Uh, You fly all all over the world. Literally. Yeah, I just did this crazy trip I was in. It was a 55-hour turnaround where I went uh, Atlanta, London, Barcelona. So I was in London on Saturday, Barcelona on Sunday, and back home at 2 o'clock on Monday for work. Oh my goodness! Wow! But it was kind of awesome because I didn't feel like I. It felt like a flight to Minneapolis because it was so quick. I didn't adjust to their time at all, and I got to eat a really good breakfast in London. <laughs> I had a, two really good meals in Barcelona. Then I came home. That's nice. So does your Does your husband and um, son? You have a son. Daughter? I have a son. son. Yeah. Uh, do they travel with you? My husband is actually here at this show, which Where's is a that? miracle. Um, he's probably spending my money. Right. <laughs> I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> staff meeting. Be at the staff meeting. That or he's tucked away in the hotel room watching a NASCAR race. Talk about red. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, don't tell him my name. Tony Stewart. Oh, right? my God. Yeah. Number 12. Number 12. Um, <laughs> Orange Home Depot. <laughs> um, no, number 20. Sorry. I got that mixed up. But, um, yeah, so he is, uh, he travels with me only to big cities. He would never come with me to like some small town. Um, we get enough, we're both from small town. So, um, he's at home typically. He was a hairdresser for 21 years and he retired at the age of 43, or sorry, 42. He's 45. Now I'm 40. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was nice to be able to have that, that he could, that he could step away because he had honestly lost his passion for hairdressing. And he's really good, but he didn't have the same passion that I have. So I was like, you know what? You need to back away. Right. Especially as a leader of a company. I think a lot of times um, when I'm even coaching salon owners, they don't have a passion to lead people. And then they wonder why the business isn't performing at its highest. And, you know, you kind of have to do that. You need to set an example. Right. Okay. So, um, I mean, I'm dominating here. Do you have anything? Go for it. You're doing okay. a great job. <laughs> okay, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I got so much. So um, I, I think I, I've asked I've asked Jen this, and, and, and I'll ask you too. So, I mean, you're clearly, uh, you said a disruptor, but but you're clearly motivating. You're, you're clearly inspiring. And, and I think something that, like, um, that I struggle with how you do it, like, how did you have the confidence? And, I mean, you, you're kind of, like, even – admit it that 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 that's not the thing that you can grab onto so 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 I, how did you have the confidence or the balls or the whatever to be like you know what i have a story to tell and like that to me just blows me away about what you know, what was i going to do fail i'd already done that right so i mean i mean i was already at a low i was there were two times in my life 17 and 19 where i attempted suicide wow so i'd already been at my lowest what what's the worst that somebody's going to do to me hurt me I mean, seriously, like what's the worst? 
so um, that I mean, I guess that's it. I'm living on my engine. <laughs> it's about all that. Um, so then, how did? So did you start? When did you start telling your story, or when did you start? Like when you found this path? Like like what? Like like not just your path about talking about this, but what was the? How did that? How did that kind of grow until you became a salon? Well, I think ambassador? people became like I told like one person about the story, and then all of a sudden like the story started traveling. Everybody's like yeah daniel mason jones like i know he seems like this but did you know that this happened to him or this happened to him Mm -hmm. and uh so then people are always asking me about it i was like well maybe i was given my story on purpose to share with people i feel like all of us are given a story you know maya angelou is one of the greatest poets of all time and she says rarely do we focus on the process of the caterpillar we only focus on the beauty of the butterfly it's Mm -hmm. easy to see somebody being successful but you don't know what they went through to get there so it, I felt like it was important for me to share with people because they might think that I have a big personality and because I have a crazy work ethic that I'm just successful. Well, that's not the case. That's your heart. Yeah. I had to get in there. And that's nobody's, that's, you know, to your point or to Maya Angelou's point, like, like that's nobody's story. Exactly. exactly. Nobody just arrived. No. Everybody, you know? we all behave and have feelings and thoughts and, and whatever beliefs based on our story. So when you, when you step back and you look at somebody that's always angry, you have to understand something has happened to them somewhere that made them that way. So if you can break through that exterior and get into them and find out like, what, what causes this, there's a story there. And then you normally start to really respect the person once you know what the story is about. I don't think I, and, and I'm being honest, I mean, I don't think I've ever met a more empathetic person in my entire life. You know, like, uh, like I people. wish I weren't empathetic. <laughs> 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 I take that home with me. Like somebody tells me a story at work, if it's a guest and they come in and they tell me like they lost their job or something happened, I wear that. Like mm-hmm. I wear it like a badge and I hate that. But I love people. Mm-hmm. I love people. And I just want to see everybody happy. I want to see people win. And, um, you know, a lot of times my passion is, is misunderstood, I think, because I'm just a very passionate person, mm-hmm. but I get frustrated with people and I'm like, why can't you see it? It's in your face. Like it's, you got so much opportunity. Let me help you get there. Well, you said, let you help them get there. Well, how can they find you? So they, so you can help them get there. Well, um, next year I've already got 36 contracts on the table for 2019, which I have never had that happen a year in advance. So I'm all over the place. I'll be at every national show. I teach private classes. Those are really becoming hard to do because I travel so much. Mm -hmm. I have um, social media. People can reach out to me anytime. I genuinely get excited when somebody reaches out to me for advice um, because I, I love helping people and I love it when they message me like, Hey, I tried your tip. Uh, somebody last week was like, I'm going to start an Instagram page. She messaged me the next day. I screenshot It's actually on my highlights on my story of testimonials. One day she had a hundred new followers on her Instagram. She's like, I did everything you said on a brand new Instagram. I got a hundred followers. I was like pumped. Wow. So, um, those moments I live for, but I'm also about to roll out some pretty sick stuff. So I have a website. It's danielmasonjones.com. Everything is Daniel Mason Jones, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Him. Just in case you have a branding uh, issue there, <laughs> but DanielMasonJones.com. So people can go to my website and they can leave their email address. I do not solicit. In fact, I've had that website for three years and I've never sent out the first email, but I'm about to. Some big things are coming in 2019. I'm super pumped about. Um, I'm learning the process of delegation um, to, to hire people to help me do what I need mm-hmm. to do because I need a bigger outreach. 
And um, so that, and uh, we also have something in our salon called the Shadow Project. I was going to ask you about this because I, speaking of all social media, yeah, uh, Hairzilla just posted about it, and I was going to bring it up. Totally. And she was awesome. She, it was a really funny story. She lives in Charleston, South Carolina, yep. and works at uh, eight four three studio salon there and she's the bomb i had two stylists that same day one from fort lauderdale and her from charleston we typically have people in the salon all the time now with the shadow project so you can shadow as an associate you can shadow as a stylist to learn how to double book you can come in shadow as a manager owner and uh so people come in shadow it's awesome you can reach out um through my social media and i'll give you all the information on shadow project and um, so people are in the salon all the time and they're so hungry for this information. And that's been very successful because people come in, even if they have one associate, they're looking at hiring their second one. There's a salon in St. Louis where there's two girls that work together. It's a big salon there. But two of the girls are like 26 and 28 years old and both of them are at 300000 a year. And they work 24-hour work weeks, which is what we're trying to push in our salon. We work 24 to 32. 32 is full-time, part-time is 24 we have 19 six-figure hairstylists in my salon working 24, 32-hour weeks. We also have 401k with 4% match in our salon, no service fees or back bar fees, and health insurance. So when I tell you that I'm a disruptor, I want to disrupt it because I think the commission salons, I could help them out. If they understand how retail works, if you work the retail, the retail works for you, and you can give your staff anything in the world that you want. If you want to work in a salon that has team collaboration, inclusiveness, like that whole vibe, I got you. Man, woo! I, I got um, you. Uh, uh, we've, we, I think we talked to Tim Fisk about it on one of our podcasts, but um, but we we talked about how th- a lot of times if you go on these um, forum pages and there's like, uh, the, it's about the contract and it's about the non compete contract yes. and there's all this controversy about that and 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 what we talked to t- I hope we talked about this on the podcast I know we talked about it all fair I'm not, it's coming up it's, about, it's coming up right now but but you know the, the consensus was at least between the three of us is that is that it's much much easier to build culture than it is to build contracts exactly we have contracts in my salon and mm-hmm. yeah let's talk about that but they're not to be scary I got blasted last week for having one they're like it's a frivolous lawsuit I'm like no it's a contract um, if you don't want to work there you don't have to come work there that's simple and point blank I signed a huge contract with Salon Centric I have one with L'Oreal Professional they got my back right so right. I don't mind signing a contract um, contracts if they're done wrong mm-hmm. I think can scare people away but in our salon when you're offering somebody retirement you're giving them free money they have no back bar you're offering a hundred thousand dollars a year in education you're flying your team across the country or all over the world actually mm-hmm. we do that twice sometimes three times a year I think that's not unfair to ask for, you know. I mean, but I mean, I mean, let's get into it, right? Yeah. So, so you're offering a lot, right? A lot, a lot, and, and, and there's there's no doubt about it. I mean, none of us have worked at a salon that's yeah. offering that much. Like hardly any of those salons exist. Yeah, I think I heard of one in Atlanta. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but but that's about it. So I mean, don't you? I don't. I want to say frivolous, but but do you think you need the contract? I mean, no. I mean, there's no there's, there's no better place in Atlanta to work. I mean, and that, we know that's that. clear, right? But with the whole movement of the independence, and I'm not against independence. Uh-huh. So hear me loud, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what you do as long as you're happy. But I think a lot of people. Let's just be real. You want me to be really real? Yeah, a that. lot of people will come into a salon like mine and use my reputation my brand let me grow you let me educate you and then you stab me in the back right so i'm not i'm a businessman i'm not going to roll over right right so if i'm offering you all these perks don't take advantage of me right and i'd be an idiot to let someone do that 
Um, but we've had, oh my gosh, I mean, we've been open 13 years and we've had people leave, of course, because sure. people outgrow you, you outgrow them. Like mm -hmm. life happens. I left a salon. Right. And we've had people leave and we're still great friends with them. And then we've had people leave in malicious behavior. Right. And that's a different story. So yeah. just like any company in the world with salon centric, if I did something that was not ethical, like, like this podcast, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't get mad at them. If I broke contract, if, if right. you're on a highway and the speed limit says 55 miles per hour and I'm doing 95 mm -hmm. and the police pulls me over, am I going to get mad at the policeman because I was speeding? Right. It's fair. Like I know that, what's in contract of the law is 55 miles per hour but contract is it's one of those things like don't work there right if that's something that scares you don't work there but also my team are going to retire my team make a hundred thousand working 24 hours a week my team have health insurance i have women that if they find a lump in their breast they're not scared to go to the doctor because they can i have three girls pregnant right now um two just had babies and both of them had babies completely for free because the insurance that I provide for them. So again, you have to ask yourself, is it ego speaking? Right. Where you're coming from, or is it, there's people that self-serve and there's people that serve others. I don't think I've ever loved another human being other than my wife and daughter. Right? <laughs> <Daniel Mr>. Jones, <laughs> man. Can I take you home and you can meet my family? Hey, if you cook really good, I'll be there. Dude, this dude does competition barbecue. So talk to him about... Uh, Talk to him about uh, 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 cooking really good. Right. <laughs> My middle name should have been Brisket. <laughs> I love Brisket. I tried to be vegan for like 10 days last year and I gained seven pounds. I was like, and then I reminded myself that um, hippopotamuses are vegetarians. I was like, no wonder. <laughs> but so are gorillas and they're jacked. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not jacked. <laughs> Awesome. So then I get to look forward to taking you home. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, we're definitely doing number two. Um, I would love it. I'll think, zoom in anytime. I think, no, I, I think, no, I think. I'll Daniel, meet you. I think Daniel Mason is a live guy. So Let's um, roll. I mean, I have a couple more questions. So tell me about cars. Oh, my God. Because I'm a car dude, too. You are? Yeah, a little bit. You just made my blood pressure blow up. There you go. <laughs> I love cars. Mm -hmm. Love cars. You know, I never... Again, growing up poor. Oh, what is that? Oh. This is a Porsche, dude. Yes. Yeah, now it's coming back to me. <laughs> I love them. You Go just ahead. gave me like chill bumps. Woo! Like I'm pumped about this. Um, yeah, so I love them. I just got rid of one. It was so beautiful, but it didn't make any sense. It was a two-door. It was so hot. It was on the showroom floor. I bought it for myself two Christmases ago. I had it for a year and a half, and I had 900 miles on it. I was scared to drive it. And because I have That's a three- not a car. I know. It was like a museum piece. <laughs> So I traded it in, long story, because of Instagram, funny enough, I got a really sweet deal nice. and uh, actually saved 50 grand because of my Instagram following. They g basically gave me like free ceramic uh, wrap on the car and right. like all this stuff, which was really awesome because they know my demographic. I'll sell that car to somebody else. Yep. And uh, yeah, but I'm a Porsche collector and I love them. So Panamera, Cayenne, you got to get the GTS or the S. And, the uh, GTS is yeah, tight. I had the uh, Cayman GTS more recently. It was black on black. It was, as we call it in Atlanta, it was murdered. Um, <laughs> the stitch in, the baseball stitching on the steering wheel had little stitches of red. It was the sickest car. But now I have a red Cayenne GTS, and it's got like the black handles, blacked out wheels. It is really sexy. Uh -huh. I love cars. 
Are, are you just a Porsche dude or just car guy? I was Mercedes for a minute, but mm-hmm. uh, I tasted Porsche, and I ooh, I think I'm stuck for life. Yeah, the I performance get it. is off the charts. I get it. Um, Even though we have traffic in Atlanta, you just sit there and look pretty. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, come come visit us in DC sometime. Yeah, <laughs> you know we we all sitting there. I'll be there next month. Where are you going? Uh, I am working for three salons up there, so you'll have to connect. I'll be there the last weekend of October. As soon as I get back from Amsterdam, dinner. I love to eat. Let's do let's it. Do it. Okay, a let's lot. Definitely, let's, let's definitely do it. Um, <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, so definitely, definitely number two, right? We yep. definitely got to make that happen. Okay, so um, I guess we have one uh, kind of last question. It's kind of our, our, our patented last question. Um, the uh, There's a couple of rules to it. You're not allowed to say Porsche, <laughs> I guess. Right. Um, <clears throat> you're not allowed to say husband, or you're not allowed to say kid, and you're not allowed to say world peace, and you're not allowed to say all that stuff. But uh, what's Daniel Mason Jones absolutely obsessed with today? Oh, my God. Growing people. That's I spent my whole entire life growing people, whether it's my staff, my customers. I was in the car wash the other day helping the man. He is this new beautiful car wash, of course, where I live, <laughs> and uh, he likes our cars. And I w- was like grabbing his phone and helping him grow his Instagram. Like I love to help grow people. If if I can help somebody else experience financial freedom and financial peace, it's all worth it. Daniel Mason wow. Jones. Thank you very, 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 very much for Thank you. Us. Are you kidding me? This is an honor. I'm hanging out with the cool kids back here in the VIP <laughs> lounge. <laughs> That's what I think. I'm, I'm with the cool kids, I'm like, man. what, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> Dude, thank you so much. Thank hey. you for joining us on our podcast. Thank, thank you. for you. spending um, yep. you know, a little bit over an hour with us. Um, I mean, I literally cut this short because we got to do this again, and, and there's just I'm so down. many more questions. Awesome. So, again, thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>